Welcome to Medical Matters Weekly with Dr. Trey Dobson, presented by Southwestern Vermont Healthcare and Catamount Access Television. Welcome, everyone. I about said good morning, everyone, but it's noon, so I can't say that. Uh, welcome, everyone. Today is July 27th, 2022. I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. And my guest today is Dr. Tess Wiskell. Welcome, Tess, and I'll introduce you, but welcome to our show. Thank you for having me here. So Tess is in this really cool fellowship. Uh, she's an emergency medicine physician, so she must be pretty awesome if she's an EM physician. But she is in a fellowship which is titled a Climate and Human Health Fellow. We're going to learn a lot about this. Um, it's it's at the Harvard Center for Climate, Health, and Global Environment at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. And you still do emergency medicine shifts, I take it, Tess. Oh, yes. I'm definitely still working in the emergency department. It's my patients that motivate me, so we're still working there. So uh, Tess is a graduate of the Brown University Emergency Medicine Residency Program, a graduate of the University of Chicago School of Medicine, a member of the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, and a board member for Physicians for Social Responsibility in Pennsylvania. Are you from Pennsylvania? No, that's actually where I was living last. I was living and working in Pennsylvania last, which is where I was doing that. I actually just resigned from that board since I'm now in Massachusetts up here. Oh, great. Yeah, so you'll have to you'll either have to join or or found the Physicians for Social Responsibility <laughs> in Massachusetts, which I'm sure there are. There many. is there is a there is one up here. So I'm excited to start work up here in Massachusetts. So before we learn uh, about what you're doing now, we'd like to just hear a little bit about your background, uh, why you got into medicine in the first place, and then how you got into climate and health issues. Yeah, so I am an emergency doctor and I've been practicing for a bit now, but first going into medicine, I don't think I knew I was wanted to go into medicine. I don't have any family members in medicine, um, but I was always interested in science. Um, I always loved chemistry in particular, and I studied that in college. And really in college, I started doing volunteer work with a free clinic there, and I loved that. I loved being able to talk with our clients. I loved being able to help the community around me. And I loved like, seeing some of the scientific principles that I was learning about in classes applied. And I did a little research and I knew I didn't want to do bench research and go that direction. And I think that's the big thing that motivated me to go into medicine in the first place. Um, and then after college, I did some community health work in the South Bronx. And that again, kind of solidified that I wanted to move into a career in medicine. And so were you in college in New York? Is that how you ended up? No, I was actually um, in California. So I grew up in California okay. and I was in college at UC Berkeley. And that's where I was doing the free clinic work. And then after that, I wanted to see different parts of the world, different parts of the U.S. So I went to New York after that. So what attracted you to emergency medicine? I think emergency medicine um, was really the right calling for me because I wanted to see everything. I really wanted to treat everything. Um, and in particular, I think the emergency department gets to see a lot of patients that are particularly underserved. Um, and that was the community I really wanted to work with, um, particularly vulnerable populations, um, people that might not have insurance, um, that might not have anywhere else to go. And I love that we get to take care of them in the emergency department. 
Yeah, me too. I, um, not to talk about myself, but being an emergency medicine physician, I have very similar attraction to the field. Uh, there's the pluses and minuses, the minuses being 24-7, the pluses being the great uh, patients and staff you get to work with. You know, really, the variety really keeps your, your interest in the, in the field. Yeah, it's so definitely a team you, approach. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you don't approach it that way, then uh, you're not doing the service to the patients for sure. So, so talk to us a little bit about how that morphed into your uh, interest in climate and health and then actually how you got into the fellowship. Yeah. So like I said, I really picked emergency medicine because I cared about kind of treating everybody and treating these underserved populations. And I did different work treating underserved populations. And I think over time, what I was seeing in my emergency department patients was how much their environments were affecting their health. And in particular, people coming from communities that might be disadvantaged. And seeing how much their environment was affecting their health, I wanted to look at the bigger picture of what was bringing my patients into the emergency department. So I could see a patient that was not able to breathe because they had inhaled smoke. And instead of just treating that patient there and not treating how they can't breathe, I wanted to get to the source and put out the fire and look at the bigger issues and the social issues. And I think one of those big issues that's really affecting a lot of our patients, if not all of them in some way, is climate change. And that's what drew me to want to really focus in on that for my career and study that. And I tell you, it's, it's so hard. I, I, first off, I applaud this very much. Thank you. It's one of the reasons we're having you on the show. find it very important and crucial. It's really hard in a physician or a, a medical staff individual uh, or someone even not in healthcare to day to day be doing what they're doing, but thinking of the bigger picture and, and how we can develop uh, the resources and time, frankly, to focus on those. And, and I want to just tell the audience, you know, you don't have to necessarily do that. Your awareness is so key. You vote uh, in the ways that support climate change. I mean, you know, against climate change and you uh, and you your awareness and you speak about it. And then someone like Tess here is going to be involved in, in operationalizing uh, how we can get out of this mess or at least, you know, helping uh, people cope with it. Um, you did some work over in Belize, is that correct? I did. So when I was in residency, um, one of my co-residents um, was had family and was from Belize. Um, so she brought me with her to go work in the emergency department there and learn a little bit of about what the healthcare was like there. Um, and one of the big issues affecting um, patients in Belize, and we were in Belize City in the accident and emergency department, was late diagnosis of HIV. Um, and again, it was kind of that community that I wanted to take um, care of. And there, what we did is some qualitative work um, where we did different interviews with key informants. So people that really cared about this issue. So both the doctors, the patients, um, the administration, the labs, and tried to determine how we could implement earlier HIV testing um, and how we could do that in the emergency department. Um, and we were able to do some trainings on implementing early uh, HIV testing after all these, this study. Well, that's great. Are they still using it, you think? I think so. I think it definitely brought some awareness to it. I think like just talking with different staff members, although like we're always constrained for what we're doing in the emergency department, we're always strained with resources. Um, I think like bringing the awareness and getting the input of patients and hearing that they want this too was really, really important. That's great. So so tell us a little bit then um, about, you know, your fellowship exactly and what you do besides your 
work in the emergency department. What do you do on the fellowship side? Yeah, so it has a lot of different roles and a little bit of it gets into what you were saying of how there's different ways um, to address climate change and health. So one of those is advocacy. So that can be just going out and voting, looking up your politicians. Um, anybody can do this, see, see what they care about and vote along their ideals. Um, but it's learning about advocacy, um, learning about different policies um, and working with different people to understand that so that then I can then advocate more. And I did a little bit of that with Physicians for Social Responsibility before, where I talked with my representatives and talked with them about the patients I was seeing and how these issues were affecting their health so that they could go and change legislation so that we can do things to mitigate and adapt to climate change. Um, so one part is the policy side. Another is um, education. So I'm learning too. So I'm actually going to be getting a master's degree um, at the School of Public Health while doing the fellowship. And that'll help me learn kind of the basic statistical skills, epidemiological skills, everything else to study this. Um, and another side of the fellowship is doing research um, and learning about research so that we can take the next steps into fighting climate change. And so some of the projects I've started working on, um, in particular, one has been looking at it, I really think as an, ex as an emergency doctor, looking at extreme weather events. Um, so the things we're seeing all over the place now, heat waves um, and wildfires is a place where we can have a lot of influence because we see patients after those events. Um, so one of the projects I'm working on is looking at the health effects of California wildfires and how we can respond to this, how they affect patients and particularly communities of medically vulnerable patients um, or medically at-risk patients, how the power shutoffs there are affecting the communities, how the evacuations from homes are affecting communities, and then taking the next steps of what we can do to kind of help with this as this is an ongoing problem. And it's honestly, it's one of the other reasons that I think I am interested in climate change is because I grew up in California I can see this affecting my family. Like I've seen differences from when I grew up to now of where it used to be, oh, we have high fire risk in California. It's dry here. To the California's burning all of fire season and you're seeing the smoke and you're seeing those effects. And I'm seeing family and friends' houses burning down. I'm seeing my family and friends being evacuated. And I think that just hits into home what is really happening here. And just this week, 6,000 people having to relocate or, you know, temporarily evacuate, I should say. Exactly. Uh, which was really abnormal uh, a few decades mm -hmm. ago. And, and now exactly. it's, I feel like, you know, I don't live in California, but I feel like it's every month I hear about uh, some large evacuation. Exactly. We're definitely getting that. And then you're seeing other, other extreme weather events, right? Like we saw the heat waves in um, the Northwest last year, but we're seeing that around the East Coast now. We're seeing that in Europe now. Um, we're seeing flooding. We're seeing so many different extreme weather events. And I think looking into how that affects people's health um, and what we can do about it is somewhere we, I really want to focus my time. What, what are some of the other health and climate interactions? I think people know about fires, but what, what do you think yeah. would be some others that would surprise the average person? Yeah, I, I think the extreme weather events are the easy ones to see. Um, and that's good because it's making people aware. But there's a lot of other things we don't see. Um, so one of them is vector-borne diseases. Um, so vectors are things like our ticks, uh, mosquitoes that are moving um, and they're moving to new areas. 
Um, so they are bringing things like Lyme disease to new areas. Um, they're affecting populations they didn't used to. We're seeing dengue and West Nile virus um, and other vector-borne diseases in new areas. Um, the other thing we're seeing is migration of populations. So climate change is affecting the environment around people, causing droughts and scarce resources, and that is causing some migrations. Um, and I think, and that definitely has effects on health, um, both mental health from needing to move, as well as healthcare access and lack of access to resources and populations going to new places. Um, so I think some of those are the bigger effects that we're just not even thinking about as much, but are definitely changing as we talk now. Yeah, infectious disease is just a prime example of what sometimes uh, community may not equilibrate to climate change. And, you know, an example also, global health emergency with Zika a few years ago, likely wouldn't have gotten to that level had there not been some uh, ability just due to warming for the virus to move north, uh, along with its vector, of course, to, to yeah. move north. That's just great. And, you know, reading historical books on infectious disease outbreaks, uh, they were rare, and now they're just becoming so much more common as we travel more, but also uh, due to climate change. Um, I'm actually, you know, I was thinking the other day uh, when I was glancing at your upcoming show, and I, I'm not putting you on the spot here, I'm just kind of chatting. You know, I, I see three groups of people. I see people on, on one side that are just going to, uh, you know, deny that there is climate change occurring and, and there's not much to do about that. And then there's people on the other side that are just so paralyzed and have so much fear and anxiety, which is readily understandable, um, that, that again, they're paralyzed, they can't really do anything. But then you have this pretty large group of people, I think, I hope it's really big in the middle, who um, appreciate it, understand parts of it, depending on where their perspective is, but they're sort of at a loss of what can we do about it? And I don't wanna ignore it, but I just don't know what else to do. The dread just wears me down. And that's really hard on the upcoming generation, like my sons who are teenagers, for example. Do you have any thoughts or advice on, on that uh, perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think those are kind of the different groups of people. And I think, thankfully, uh, denial is getting harder. Um, our science is very strong. Uh, we have that clear science out there to show people that's from international bodies of scientists. So it's harder to say it's not happening as far as the degrees and what's causing it. Fine. People are still arguing, but I think we know that humans are causing um, climate change from CO2 emissions from burning fossil fuels. And I think there is definitely a population that says, I don't know what to do. What can we do? And what I'd say to them is that there's a lot we can do. That's why it's so exciting right now is because we actually can change things right now. And I think we've seen, particularly for your son or for, we can see the youth movement um, doing so much right now, just talking out, just talking and advocating and talking to legislators um, and letting their voice be heard of what they want and that this is important so that people hear them. And that's one thing people can do is just talk about it, talk mm -hmm. and let your voice be heard. Um, another is looking at what you can do in your life. There's definitely little things we can do in our lives, um, which can make you feel like you have this control. So everything from getting an electric vehicle to changing diet, all of those things can do something. Um, although the biggest shoe is really getting to the burning of the fossil fuels and advocating that way. Um, but other things you can do is educate, right? Educate yourself, educate people around you, um, 
and then look at ways your community can do different things to adapt. So if you know there's going to be a heat wave, maybe you check in on people who might not have access to air conditioning. Um, maybe you try to get air conditioners to people. Um, maybe we try to build greener spaces. Like there's a lot of different things and whatever your motivation is, there's a lot of ways to both mitigate and adapt to climate change. You know, you say that so well. Uh, I wish we had another hour to talk. This is, this is so good. <laughs> you know, I, and also one thing that I've also noticed is I think people um, often will, will agree and they want to do the right thing, but they feel like they either need to be 100% living in a certain way and if they don't, then, um, you know, then they're, then they're not really, um, then they're almost being a fraud. And that's not true. You can still drive a gas powered car and, and vote in ways that reduce the use of fossil fuels, vote in ways that preserve land, do things that, uh, for land preservation and work towards, for example, getting an electric car. And I'm saying that because I just got a new car recently and I couldn't find an electric car. They're hard to find. And I didn't, yeah. I felt guilty. That's okay. Cause we do other things. Um, and you can't, you know, point fingers in that direction and you can still feel good about, about your efforts. You know, um, absolutely. Something else I was thinking is, um, I don't know if you've ever read much of Bill McKibben. He, he's pretty famous, lives up in the Middlebury area and um, writes a lot on environmental change. In fact, one of the first books in the eighties, you know, discussing at least to the popular uh, media and, and, and through the popular press, um, climate change. And he talks about that there are really the three biggest uh, risks to to the human population and of course to the to the planet is nuclear war, uh, which somehow we've been able to uh, work with and keep in check at least until now. And then the second was uh, ozone depletion, which actually we've you know we've actually accomplished a reversal, which is fantastic. I don't think we talk about that enough. And then of course right now, which is going in the completely wrong direction, which is, which is warming, uh, which causes climate change. So there are examples of ways that we've been somewhat successful, or at least done the right thing. And we can't be stuck in this paralyzed anxiety world that there's nothing we can do about it. I think we can, it's just very difficult. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you that you don't need to be perfect in every part of your life. Like you, you can do what you can. And I think I take that from medicine. Like in medicine, we have a harm reduction approach at times, right? Where you try to reduce the harm. And that doesn't mean you can do everything. That doesn't mean you need to buy an expensive electric vehicle. It means maybe you vote a certain way um, or learn about something or advocate for something else. Um, and I think it's really important for people to know that as well. Where do you see yourself in, in a few years, Tess? What will you be doing? <laughs> well, I still want to be working in the emergency department. Again, I think that the motivator for me is really seeing my patients. Um, and then I'd love to be working on solutions, um, working on solutions for how climate change is affecting communities, particularly underserved communities that are being hit the hardest um, and working on these different adaptation strategies. If it's helping prepare for an extreme event, helping get people the resources they need. Um, I think that's ideally where I'd be in working with public health agencies and different NGOs to prepare for what we can do and um, help communities get, achieve their best health outcomes. To, to uh, just in a few sentences, because this would take forever, what do you see as um, the positive aspects 
for the future of our health and climate. For example, I just talked what, about what Bill McKibben said that we have accomplished and what we need to accomplish. Do you see us doing things over the next 20 to 50 years that are going to have an impact? Absolutely. Um, I, I think that there's been a lot of press about climate change recently, and I think that's motivating people, and I think that's motivating our policymakers. Um, we've seen huge increases in renewable energy. I think that's going to keep increasing. I think we're going to keep moving that direction. We've seen huge in uptake of electric vehicles. I think we're going to be moving the same direction that way. I think we're going to keep doing that. And from this awareness, we're also seeing communities prepare um, for all these different events. And I think we're going to get more and more preparedness um, as people are aware of what's happening. And I think what I hope for is that all of this attention um, will help us cause these changes and will help us see the different health disparities as well, because we know that climate change is particularly affecting people that are poor, people that come from certain communities that are poor and under-resourced. And hopefully some of one of the good things about this is we'll see that this is affecting people more and see what we can do about it. That's great. I, I, I have to end this on this positive note because uh, we could keep talking and that is so fantastic. I do think one of the unfortunate aspects of climate change is, is the negativity that there's not much we can do about it. And there certainly is. And we want to keep uh, you know, making sure the community is aware of that, making healthcare providers in this situation aware of that. So Dr. Tess Wiskell, we'd love to have you up to Vermont to visit sometime. I would love that. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I also thank Mike Cutler from CAT TV, Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity, and we will see you next week.